A reading from my latest novel, a science fiction, just to change things a little bit. And here goes with the first page of Flickering Lights. Un ballo in maschera, not the best. The singer's tired. Were these the after-effects of the pandemic and its aftermath? Or was the lowered quality to all the years New York had lived for making money and on making money? She wondered for a bit and looked around. She was alone in the top part of a loge on the left side of the Metropolitan Opera Hall. Below her was a group of four murmuring to each other to her right and slightly down alone in his loge. What a handsome man, she thought, silver and dark hair, unchiseled, a tawny face, with just the lines to show that he had lived, a tranquil face, full of innate strength. Somehow the man seemed to have caught her stare, for he looked at her rather displeased. She quickly turned her head away. Signs of old age, she ventured, staring at men who would certainly not care to even look at her. There were so many fresh, beautiful faces encircled in glistening evening couture outfits. The singing was definitely unconvincing. She started recalling previous operas and thought of the time tears had come to her eyes as the prisoners stepped out into the light in Fidelio. It might have been Beethoven's only venture into opera, but it was one she had delighted in both here at Lincoln Center and in Vienna. The curtain came down and the lights went on. Still in another time, she stepped out. Ah! She felt the strong impact of hitting something and backed away, I'm sorry, she said, half frightened by her own clumsiness, and started seeing things clearly, as the shock brought her back to her the present. A pair of green, scintillating emeralds were flashing at her. I'm sorry, she mumbled again, but the cold stare remained. It was then that she became aware of the dozens of feet walking around her and saw the faces that belonged to them, chatting, laughing. She quickly turned her back to the shape before her and went with the crowd. Insolent, she thought to herself as she headed for the bar. She needed a glass of Prosecco to calm her nerves. Gorgeous men of any age are insupportable, she decided, as she positioned herself for her order. Life was unquestionably not easy. Even here one had to push or shove, or at least hold one's ground to be able to get to the barman. Lines everywhere. Lines to get into the bus, queues for lunch, waiting time on the internet for cheap leftover seats to the Met. There were definitely too many people in the city, in spite of the COVID-19 moves to the countryside. The two champagnes, 
She heard a deep oxbridge drone and saw an arm reach around and in front of her. Now she was angry. How did its owner manage? Well, had probably done it through an application on his cell phone. She didn't quite manage those. She still used cards and even once in a while cash. Though more and more people looked down on the paper currency and some didn't even accept it. Please, the Oxbridge hand was offering her the first glass. She turned. The emeralds were flashing a smile and the chiseled jaw was softer, less tense. She turned again. No, thank you, she answered. I can get my own. Then this one will go to waste, was the half-ironic, half-bemused answer. Then let it, and she pushed to the side, shoved someone, and walked away. And now, from parts of the second chapter, it became darker and darker, and she realized she might have to spend the night alone in a sleeping bag. Men, she thought. Augustus had called in the afternoon and told her to go on ahead, that he would follow her. would have been much better and wiser to stay with the peasants in their abodes, boil the dirty water, try to convince them to do the same by hauling in the only microscope in the school and showing all the microbes in the water they had not boiled, as they didn't believe what they saw and were told through the internet on the intermittently working smartphones. Ah! She half whimpered and half screamed as she felt a hand on her shoulder. Were you afraid I'd leave you alone for the night? Augustus, she sighed and turned around. Where have you been? Looking at you for more than a quarter of an hour. But I didn't even hear you. And the wind? Sneaky, trying to scare me. She was looking at him, a shade, without being able to discern his shape, only getting hollowness from his eyes. Do you have an overnight bag? Yes, he said, taking off a burden from his shoulders. And two cigars? And a little something to drink. She had thought she would discourage him by telling him she smoked cigars from time to time. But he found that to be delightful. In this awesome place, the extraterrestrial, she teased him, pointing in the direction of the many-faced rock. But not like it. Shows a lack of respect. I don't think so, he said. The Mayans smoked cigars on special ceremonious religious occasions, let their real elders smoke whenever they wanted to. It was a prerogative of age. So I think he, like his northern cousins, would like to share to have a drink, a cigar, he teased back. There was silence. The other rocks took on eerie shapes as stars and the moon slowly appeared. They sat down, not touching, but close to each other, sipped a powerful but good local liqueur, and puffed on their cigars without saying a word. Augustus, do you think they were here? Roxanne finally broke the silence. Who? The extraterrestrials. Why not everywhere? 
suggested Augustus. Well, that they landed here and lived here. Why not? Do you believe they did? As you say, why not? She answered, taking another puff of her puro. Does it frighten you? No, it comforts me. Why? He wanted to know. Because then I know we're not alone in the universe. The air became colder and colder, and she hugged the poncho about her. The drink had made her mellow, diffuse. She knew he was there, but hardly felt his presence. In her haziness, she saw light, faint light, ahead of her. It must be the moon and shadows playing with the stones, she thought.